Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how to overcome four types of writer's block and why we wear pants. We'll also answer a listener question about the probability of finding extraterrestrial life on Jupiter's moon Europa, with some help from a special guest from Science News and Cues, also known as Snack, a Carnegie Science Center podcast. Let's satisfy some curiosity. According to Yale research, there are four types of writer's block. That's right, it's a concrete phenomenon. But more importantly than that, it's also a treatable one, which is good news for Ashley and me. I mean, I have advice on treating it. Just start a daily podcast, and then (laughs) you'll never be able to have writer's luck again. We have some other pointers that maybe don't involve a daily podcast. And please, if anyone's listening, pass them on to George R.R. Martin, because I really (laughs) want that next book to come out. So this research comes from a pair of psychologists, Jerome Singer and Michael Berrios. They studied a group of professional writers across different genres, from poetry to screenwriting. The ones with writer's block all had demonstrated two symptoms for at least three months. The concrete symptom was that they weren't writing, and the holistic symptom was that they felt incapable of writing. Singer and Berrios found that all the block's writers were unhappy, but not in the same way. Here are the four basic root causes for the unhappiness. First, apathy. They had a hard time daydreaming or feeling any creative spark. They often felt that the writing had to fit a stifling set of rules and regulations. Second, anger. A lot of these people had narcissistic tendencies, but either way, they were all actively upset during their bouts of writer's block. They didn't want to publish or perhaps create anything unless it would get them attention, money, or some other reward. Third, anxiety. These people were paralyzingly worried that their writing wouldn't be good enough and it sucked the joy out of the process. And fourth, issues with other people. These people lashed out at the people around them during their stretches of writer's block. They didn't want their writing compared with anyone else's, whether it was positive or negative. Luckily, the researchers also found that no matter what the cause, writer's block can be treated. Blocked writers of every type benefited from therapy where they did low-stakes creative exercises, things like visualization, free writing, and other activities. These exercises were more for the writer than for any audience, and that privacy loosened all different types of blocks. In fact, the therapy seemed to treat the emotional root of the block, too, even without directly addressing it. Now, there's no unanimous scientific consensus on the single best way to deal with writer's block. Some say you should change your approach based on what type of block you have, like dealing with anxiety by relaxing your expectations, or dealing with apathy by starting a new project. And if all else fails, you could try a nuclear option that's been endorsed by the Paris Review. It's an app called The Most Dangerous Writing App, and it forces you to keep going. If you stop typing for more than five seconds, the app will delete everything you've written. If you're feeling very brave or very blocked, then you can find that at themostdangerouswritingapp.com. Who knows? Maybe it's the kick in the pants you really need. Speaking of pants, who invented them and why? I don't wear pants and I don't know anyone who does. It's from (laughs) Space Ghost Coast to Coast. I also have an old pop culture reference because this story just totally reminds me of that episode of The Simpsons where Krusty the Clown is trying to do stand-up comedy and in the past he had everyone burn a pile of money and Homer's really hoping that he's going to have everyone burn their pants so he just keeps yelling, don't you hate pants? (laughs) I imagine more people will understand your Simpsons reference than my very obscure Space Coast Coast to Coast Adult Swim reference. I don't know. Space Coast is pretty popular too. 
All right. Well, we all wear pants. So let's talk about why. Travel back with me to Rome around the 4th century CE. That's where the wealthy elite were scandalized by a new fashion fad on their civilized streets. Pants. It was scandalous because pants were considered to be the clothing choice of the barbarian. At the time, that meant Goths and Huns. By that time, a lot of Goths and Huns had become official members of the Roman army, but their bold habit of striding around the city wearing pants made native-born Romans nervous. Hadn't they ever heard that saying about what to do when in Rome? By 399, the city had not one but two laws banning pants and boots from the city under threat of punishment according to legal status. The first pants in the world came out of eastern Hunnish territories, but they probably came from even further east originally. In 2014, archaeologists discovered two middle-aged men buried sometime between 3,000 and 3,300 years ago in western China, wearing the oldest known pants in existence. They were made of wool and sewn into a single unit, and they would have been drawn closed with a string. Fashion and even warmth aside, though, pants served a very specific purpose— Scientists have long suspected another reason for the swift spread of pants all over the world. The cavalry. That's right. Historians have long connected the spread of pants with the spread of horses. You know those two bodies I mentioned? Well, they were different than other bodies found in the cemetery because they were accompanied by wooden horses, leather bits, and other accoutrements of life in the saddle. Were they literally the first pants ever? Probably not. But they were certainly haute couture to those who weren't up on their high horse. We got a listener question from Damon in Colorado, and we got an answer from an expert. Ralph Crew is the creator and co-host of Science News and Cues, also known as Snack, a Carnegie Science Center podcast. And he's also the program development coordinator for Buell Planetarium and Observatory at Carnegie Science Center. Here's Ralph with Damon's question and answer. What is the scientific likelihood of extraterrestrial life on Jupiter's moon Europa? So as an astronomy educator, this is a very, very exciting body. First of all, Europa is something you can actually see. I think a lot of people don't realize that you can use a telescope in your backyard. And even with just a good pair of binoculars, if you can get a good look at Jupiter, which is up in the early morning right now, you'll be able to see Europa as a, one of four points that are orbiting uh, Jupiter, which I get excited about every time. Now, for those who aren't familiar, Europa is a moon a little bit smaller than our moon, covered in ice with an ocean of water underneath that ice. It's actually thought that Europa has more liquid water than all of the Earth's oceans combined. So it's a really, really big ocean out there. And uh, there is thought to be volcanic activity on the seafloor of Europa. Now, here on Earth, when we have volcanic activity, at the bottom of an ocean, uh, we have self-sustaining ecosystems. We have life around these so-called hydrothermal vents. We know for sure that if we were to take those organisms from Earth and drop them off at those vents on Europa, they would probably be able to survive indefinitely for millions or even billions of years. So when you ask a question like, what is the likelihood of extraterrestrial life? It's tough because we've never found extraterrestrial life, but we do know that Europa is capable of supporting Earth life. So if extraterrestrial life looks like Earth life, then Europa would be an excellent candidate for it. It's uh, perhaps the best candidate in the solar system. Uh, also, if you are into Europa, you should check out Saturn's moon Enceladus. Quite a bit smaller, but similarly volcanic vents on the ocean floor. There's also an ocean of liquid water there. And these icy 
ocean world, uh, outer solar system moons are maybe a more likely place for us to find life than on a rocky planet like, say, Mars. Uh, so there you go. Hopefully that answers your question. Wait, I, I didn't know that the life that's near our hydrothermal vents could probably survive in uh, Europa's, right? Yeah. So on Europa or uh, also on Enceladus. And that is why you may remember a couple of years ago, the Cassini spacecraft crashed into Saturn on purpose. The reason they did that is that they couldn't be 100% sure that there weren't bacterial spores from Earth on Cassini. And if Cassini went dead and it just sort of orbited wildly around Saturn, there was a small chance it could crash onto Enceladus and contaminate it. And that life could theoretically propagate indefinitely and totally contaminate and spoil whatever life might be there on Enceladus. So rather than risk that, they crashed Cassini into Saturn. And likewise, they're going to do the same thing with Juno, which is around Jupiter right now. They're going to crash Juno into Jupiter to avoid it contaminating or possibly contaminating Europa, which I think is is pretty amazing. That's how serious these scientists are about the possibility of life on these ocean worlds. Once again, that was Ralph Crew, Program Development Coordinator for Buell Planetarium and Observatory at Carnegie Science Center. You can hear more from Ralph on his podcast, Science News and Cues, also known as SNAQ. That's S-N-A-Q. We'll put a link to that in today's show notes. And thanks for your question, Damon. Before we wrap up, we want to give a special shout out to Dr. Mary Yancey, who gets an executive producer credit for today's ad-free episode, thanks to her generous support on Patreon. Thank you so much. If you're listening and you want to support Curiosity Daily, then visit patreon.com slash curiosity.com, all spelled out. We're producing special podcast episodes and offering other exclusive perks to show our appreciation for your support. One more time, you can learn more at patreon.com slash curiosity.com. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.